seated. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask for the movement of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We are here. We want to experience your presence. We need your wisdom, your revelation, as we understand what this word says. And we need to learn how to apply it to our lives. And so we invite you to move in us now, in our spirits. Move in us. Allow us to become more like you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, today we are beginning a new series. It is called First Things, Stories from the Book of Acts. Now, I use the word stories carefully. When I say stories, I have had Christians come to me in the past and say, what do you mean a story? A story is something made up. Well, no, that's not what I mean here. We're talking about things that happen to real people in a real place at a real time. Uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was a doctor, and he was a companion to the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was not one of the apostles himself. Now, I hope that doesn't shock you. Uh, you know, we look at that, you know, four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we expect they were all apostles. But no, Luke was not an apostle. He was someone who came after, who came to faith, and we think that probably happened through Paul, or maybe that happened through one of the very early groups of believers, and, and we believe he was a Gentile convert, and uh, tradition tells us that he was born in Antioch, Syria. Um, he's a very interesting man, because as a physician, he would be a man of science, and, and that makes him a pretty unlikely witness. You know, if you think about it, that makes him an unlikely witness that also makes him reliable. Well, why does it make him reliable? Well, being a doctor, um, you know, he, he would be looking at these things and he would be wired not to believe in miracles. He would be wired not to believe in healing. And yet, in, in his book, in his gospel, there is more about healing and more about miracles than almost any other book. Only Mark beats him out. These things would go against almost everything he would have believed as a doctor. And so along comes Jesus into his life and changes his perspective forever. And he comes at this from a completely new and fresh mentality. Uh, you know, we see also in his writings that, that Luke is a very meticulous researcher. And he says right there in the book that he interviewed people who were alive and present at the time of the events that he's writing about. And you know, Luke and Acts go together, right? Those are they're part of a big book. So Luke is part one, and Acts is part two, but they're the same story continued on. And uh, they're worth reading together. If you've never read them like that, I really encourage you to try that. I, I find that to be really, really helpful. Luke knows a man by the name of Theophilus, we don't know who Theophilus was, but we know that Luke considers him or important enough that he wants to tell him this story and this whole story. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, this whole story is told for 
Theophilus benefit so that he would know and come to believe and understand who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. Uh, the traditional name of this book is the Acts of the Apostles. Now, it's not written anywhere. That's just a traditional name, but uh, it goes just as well by just Acts or the book of Acts. Um, but I think it goes by the book of the Acts of the Apostles because there's so much about the story of their first work for Jesus and all the things that they did on Jesus' behalf. But you know, we could just as easily just call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit because none of this would happen without the coming of the Holy Spirit who's central to this story. So today we're going to jump into the book of Acts. We're going to jump right into chapter 1. We're not going to be teaching every story from Acts. We're going to select 10 and we're going to go with those. And um, we're not going to go line by line, expositionally through every piece of text. So what I would really encourage you to do is read the book. Read the book. You will get so much more out of this series if you read through the book of Acts. And it won't take you very long. A couple of settings and you'll be done with it for sure. But uh, let's take a look and see how it all starts. If you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to follow along. Uh, we're reading in Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. And I need to grab my Bible because I didn't bring it up here with me. So <laughs> Normally I drop the text right in and I knew I didn't do that this morning. But I didn't bring it up. So we'll get there. See, you have time to turn in your Bible too to Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until that day that he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to stop there. And we'll pick it up here in a few minutes. Uh, we want to zero in on three things today from the text. We want to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. We want to look at the commission to be witnesses that Jesus gives them. And we want to look at the promise of the return of Jesus. And so we want to look at the commission, or the, the promise, the commission, and the return. So the first part is the promise. Now, Talking about Jesus and his disciples, this is what Luke wrote. He said, on one occasion, we just read this, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. So this isn't, isn't the first time they're hearing about it. Which you've heard me speak about, he says. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Jesus is saying something to this group of people who've been following him through this three-year period. He's saying something that's really kind of earth-shaking. He's promising to empower them, and they would know their Bible. He's promising to empower them in a way that only Israel's kings and prophets had experienced before. The average person was not experiencing the Holy Spirit in this way. This is God's Holy Spirit. This is the third person of the Holy Trinity. This is God. But look at the disciples' response. Now, you know, Jesus has just given them this earth-shaking statement. And here's what they say. Then they gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It's like a complete non sequitur. It's like we went from here to there and we're not quite sure how we got there. Uh, There is a complete disconnect going on here. They just don't get it. Jesus is promising them something amazing, someone amazing, and he's preparing them to do the ministry of his kingdom, and goes right over their heads. They miss it entirely. He told them, you know, go and wait for this special gift from the Father. But you know, in this group, patience is not a virtue. You know, there is just not much patience going on with them. Uh, Why wait, you know? I mean, yeah, we could go and we could wait and we could, you know, whatever it is that he's got in mind. We don't know what that really is. Uh, Or Jesus could do it right now. (laughs) He could just change everything. And they sense that something's about to change. They, I don't know if they know exactly that in the next few minutes, Jesus is going to leave them for good, but, but something I'm sure they can sense, and, and before he gets away, they've got this thing they've been hanging on to for a while. You know, through the three years of Jesus' ministries, uh, the disciples, they had this kind of baggage about Israel's history that they were dragging along with them. You know, they knew David had been king, And David had kicked enemy backsides to become ruler. You know, they knew how how it worked. And and that's what they expected from the Messiah. And by now, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, if it doesn't going to happen now, it's not going to happen. So, Lord, (laughs) right now, are are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel right now? Is this going to happen right now? And Jesus says, you know what? That's none of your business. (laughs) That isn't your concern. Your concern is what I just started to speak to you about. You know, he had other plans. Uh, His way was not their way, and, and his plan was not the way that they pictured it. Instead of conquering enemies with the sword, Jesus is getting ready to send them out to transform the enemies with his word. And he was going to empower them with the Holy Spirit to get it done. Think about what happened at the crucifixion. What happened to these guys, you know, this cohesive, wonderful group of people who loved Jesus and would never abandon him? What happened to them when Jesus went to the cross? That was the ruin of their dreams. They'd expected the Messiah to conquer to be the conquering hero, and he was being crucified. A horrible death. It was the end of their dreams. Their hopes were dashed. Jesus was dead. 
Their purpose was gone, and so what did they do? They just scattered. In fact, some of them went and quit entirely, and they went back to fishing. On their own, this group wasn't very great. Now, Jesus is getting ready to leave again, but he's not going to leave them on their own. Jesus is going to send them a companion. And the inference in one of those, one of those descriptions of the Holy Spirit is like a traveling companion, somebody who goes with you where you go, somebody who would represent God through them, someone who would bring God's words to life when they spoke the words. You know, they had experienced miracles already. They had even found that in Jesus' name, they could perform some of those miracles. Excuse me? Having a day here. This is interesting. <laughs> no, it wasn't mom. It's a long-distance call from heaven. So... so. The Holy Spirit would empower the words that they were going to speak. The Holy Spirit had been responsible for the miracles that they had already seen. But the one who did the miracles, the Holy Spirit, was about to baptize them. And that word baptize is really important. That, that word that we use, baptize, is actually a Greek word. We just put it in English because, you know, there was a lot of political controversy around it. But the word actually meant and means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. And it was a word that was completely connected with the dyeing of cloth. So if you put cloth into dye and you take it out, it starts as one color and it comes out a different color. And so this is the word that Jesus uses to talk about what's going to happen with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed. You're going to be dyed and changed. There's something miraculous going to happen here when the Holy Spirit comes. And he is not only going to immerse them, he's going to live inside of them. And so everything about their lives was about to change. And these guys didn't have a clue. Not a clue. And so Jesus takes it to another level. And he makes it more clear. And he gives them a commission, a job to do. Now, what's a commission? What's a commission? Well, we know that, you know, that's some money that might be made on a sale. Well, no, not that kind of commission. Uh, we know that a commission might be a rank in the military. No, we're not talking about that kind of commission. We're talking about, when we talk about the Great Commission all the time, what are we talking about? We're talking about an order to do a specific duty or mission. I like the word mission. Now imagine Jesus says to you, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to change the whole world. Imagine he said that to you. Imagine how they're going to feel. I mean, that's really what he's giving them to do, isn't it? Sort of. And they ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And he tells them not to worry about that. It's not your concern. Some things only God can do 
but here's what you can do. Now, notice in the conversation, he picks up with the promise of the Holy Spirit as if they hadn't interrupted him at all, right? He just jumps right into the next part. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, before it was, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's when you're baptized, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. Jesus is being much more emphatic with them. When this happens, this is what's going to happen to you. You will be my witnesses. Now, they're not entirely ignorant of this. I mean, remember, you know, Matthew 28 has already taken place. What happens in Matthew 28? You know, every time we have a missions conference, it's Matthew 28, right? It's the Great Commission. You should remember that Matthew 28 and this part, Acts 1.8, they belong together. They're two parts of a larger picture. And if you just look at Matthew 28, you miss this part. And if you just look at this part, you miss the commission that Jesus had given them in Matthew 28. And what did he say there? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, they must have wondered, how are we going to do this when he said that the first time? But he did say he would be with them as they did that. And how was that going to work, especially now that we know that Jesus is about to leave them? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And under the Spirit's power, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? Have you ever been a witness in an accident? I, I've only ever had that happen once to me where I was, you know, years and years ago when we first started ministry, we were living in Toronto and I was sitting at a stoplight and uh, somebody, I could see this car, you know, a few cars back, it was racing towards us and I thought, this is not good because he doesn't look like he's going to stop. And sure enough, he plowed into the car behind me, and that car plowed into me and pushed my car into the car ahead of us. So when he went to court, I was called to testify. And, and what happened when you testify? Well, I got up and I just said, well, I was sitting there at a light, minding my own business, and I saw this car in my rearview mirror, and it was coming too fast, and I saw it hit this car. All I could tell when I was on the stand was what happened to me, right? This is, I, could, I couldn't describe what happened to the people in the other three cars. I couldn't describe what was going on in the mind of the guy who hit us all. All I could describe was what happened to me. And that's the center of what it means to be a witness, isn't it? In the apostles' case, they had spent three years with Jesus. And they'd seen Jesus crucified, and they thought that everything was lost, and they were giving up hope 
And then they saw him alive after death, in person, in the flesh. They touched him. Thomas's story makes sure we understand that. And they had a lot of things to testify about. Things that they had seen and heard and experienced. Those things that they could pass on. And so in the Spirit's power, they were going to tell it all. They just didn't know it or understand it yet. But that's what was coming. But before they got a chance to digest what Jesus said to them about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and being empowered and being sent out to these places that started right where they were, before they really got a chance to mull that over, Jesus left them. Just left. Right in the middle of the conversation, it says Jesus rose up into the air. And he disappeared into the clouds. It's like, here's what's coming. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how it's going to happen. Bye. (laughs) That was it. But he wasn't gone for good. He wasn't gone for good. We call this Jesus rising into the air ascension. His ascension. And uh, there's even a day on the church calendar, it's Ascension Day. Uh, Luke tells us, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight, or hid him from their sight. He just rose up into the air and disappeared. Now, I can, I can kind of hear Thomas <laughs> saying to himself, well, this is new. <laughs> you know, and the disciples not having their best thinking and understanding day, standing there, slack-jawed, open-mouthed, looking up at the sky, completely dumbfounded, just completely. (laughs) And Luke says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Well, I'm sure some of them were thinking, well, we only just got used to him being back and now he's gone again. But the angels let them know, made sure they knew He's coming back. You know, this isn't the last time you'll see him. Just like you saw him go, you're going to see him coming back. Now, the scripture tells us we'll see him coming in the clouds. It'll be a very public event. It'll be something that everybody everywhere will see happening all at the same time, however that happens. You know, when we think about the book of Acts, we, you, at least I do, I usually think about Acts chapter 2. You know, that's kind of in my head, that's where the book starts, you know? All the things that happen, the Holy Spirit comes, people speak in tongues, Peter gives a great sermon, thousands get saved, the church is born, and all that happens in one chapter. That all happens in Acts chapter 2, all that excitement. But the book of Acts doesn't start with the fireworks display. The book of Acts starts in relationship with Jesus sharing in person with his disciples, one-on-one, 
He's right there. He's, he's talking to them. And it starts with a promise of the coming Holy Spirit. And it starts with a commission. This is what's going to happen. This is what you're to do when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then we get another promise at the end that one day when the time is just right, Jesus is coming back. And these places, these things are where it starts with us. I think there are some stories that when you finish the story, and I, I read a lot of books, and I read a lot of fiction books, and so I, I force myself that every so many fiction books, I'll read a nonfiction book, so then I don't completely pollute my mind and try to get something that grows in here. And there are some books you get to the end of, and you put them down, and you kind of go, well, that was, a, that was a nice story. That was fun. And you go on with your life, and it doesn't really affect you. You don't give it another thought. The story told in the book of Acts is not that kind of story. It's not a story we can or even get to walk away from. Yes, it is about how the apostles uh, and how Jesus changed their lives and empowered them by the Holy Spirit and how through that they changed the world. But they did it at a great cost. And in the story, you get to see how the gospel, the good news about Jesus, was passed from person to person and household to household and city to city, then state to state, then country to country and around the world, just like Jesus said in Acts 1.8. And it was all done at great cost. They say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and that's so true. That's part of the story of the book of Acts. Another part of the story of the book of Acts, and I hope you don't fail to see this as we go through it, is that the gospel torch is passed generation to generation. And it becomes pretty clear as we go on that the commission given to the apostles was being given to all believers, not just that one little group in the first century. Jesus didn't separate them out and say, well, Peter, you and Bartholomew and Philip, um, you guys have the gift of evangelism, so I'm going to send you and the rest of these guys we're just going to do something else with. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus sent them all. And we know from the stories that we've read in the Gospels that some of them were <laughs> not the strongest at times. But he sent them all. He commissioned the whole lot, regardless of what gifts they had. And those who received Jesus were compelled to share Jesus. And that's what happened. And that's how the church was born. We come up with a lot of excuses why to not do something, especially evangelism, especially sharing our faith. Um, and I know I've told this story before, but I had been to two or three of the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. I'd been to two or three of them. We were at, my friend Randy and I, we were at one in, uh, in New York, in Buffalo. And uh, we were working a crusade at night at Pilot Field. And uh, during the day, we were going to these classes. 
And we were sitting there, and I was sitting in the front row. Billy Graham was about five feet away from me. And uh, Randy was sitting right next to me. And uh, I'm thinking, man, yeah, this evangelism stuff is great, but I just don't have the gift. I'm just not gifted in this area. That's, that's not my strong point. And Billy Graham's making a point, and he's standing right there, and he points right at me. And he says, and just because you don't feel you have the gift of evangelism does not mean you're not responsible to share the gospel. Now, if that isn't a prophetic word. <laughs> we walked out of there, and my friend Randy goes, he nailed you, didn't he? <laughs> he did. <laughs> When you've been nailed by Billy Graham, you've been nailed, man. And I never thought about it the same after that, ever. I always thought about it as my responsibility, whether I'm gifted in that area or not. The commission has been passed to me and to you. You have been commissioned. If you believe in Jesus and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you have received the same Holy Spirit who empowered the first church. And you are commissioned with the task of being a witness, sharing what you have experienced in Christ, starting in your Jerusalem, starting wherever you are, wherever you're planted, wherever you, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school. And you spread out wherever Jesus takes you, wherever God takes you, so that the message gets passed person to person. It makes it to the end of the earth. And sometimes, you know, we just celebrated Barb and Doug here in their work in Malawi. Sometimes people from a congregation, they feel the call of God and they get up and they go. And they go to the ends of the earth. And maybe God will call one of you or more of you to do the same thing. But we are all commissioned. And you know, when we go, we won't be going alone. This thing called the church which gets created in the next chapter, by the way. This church will back you, and the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you, and he will give you the words to say when they fail you, even in prayer. Here's a, here's a takeaway question. Let me put this up. What's my part in the gospel mission? It's just something to pray about. What's, what's my little piece? Maybe it's just a little piece. Maybe it's a prayer piece. Maybe it's a share with your neighbor piece or take a pie to the neighbor two doors down piece. Whatever your part is, pray about what your part is. And, and then I'm going to ask you to be a little bit more specific with that and ask the question, who can I share my story with? Who can I share my story with? Because that's all that's happening in the book of Acts. Is people sharing their story again and again. Sometimes with common people. Sometimes with Ethiopian eunuchs. And sometimes with people who are in power and authority. But it's just the sharing of their story. Their testimony. What happened to them. What they know personally about Jesus. So pray about it. And I promise that God will honor what you share. You may not see immediate response. That person may not just drop to their knees and give their heart to Jesus. It doesn't usually work like that. But I promise it will not go without effect. The word of the Lord never returns to him empty or void. 
It's always effective. Always. God, not us, will bring the increase. We just got to sow the seed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that on this mission, we go together and we go in faith. We go with your presence through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, giving us the courage to speak and the words to say. And Lord, we see that on this mission, we are one part of a much larger picture. We are your church here in this body and around the world. Lord, help us to hear your commission and receive it. Let us be obedient to your call and your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.